This week on the Baseline Podcast, we talk about the NFL playoffs and how the Bengals have been a very big surprise, to at least some, not to Bengals fans though. And then we move into college football where Josh and I debate and talk about what the best coaching moves were of the offseason so far. And then we also talk about do we agree with them or we disagree with them? And so much more coming up on the Baseline Podcast. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the Baseline Podcast with Ben and Josh. We are back uh, talking about some uh, college coaches. You know, it is also in the middle of the NFL playoffs. There's a lot of things going on in this world of sports and we could be here for weeks on weeks on weeks, but hey, we're trying to keep it short, simple and sweet. Uh, that's Josh. And Josh, how's your week been? How you been doing? Hey, week's been good, Ben. It's also been slightly better because the Packers got knocked out of the playoffs this weekend. I love, <laughs> I how, every time, I love how every time that the <laughs> Packers play the 49ers, ever since Rodgers became the starting quarterback, they always bring up that clip of him on draft day, and they ask him if he's like disappointed that the 49ers passed him up for the first pick. And then he says, not as disappointed as they'll be for not drafting me or something along those lines. And they bring that up every time. It's like the most annoying storyline in the NFL. And yesterday, Rodgers – increased his record against the 49ers in the playoffs to 0 and 4. So, I don't know how much hey. 49ers are ag- exactly regretting passing him up, but they're in the NFC Championship game and Green Bay is not despite three straight 13 win seasons or whatever the heck it's been. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would say this about I actually watched part of the highlights of that game. Obviously, I'm here in Hungary, so I'm like always like asleep when all these games happen, obviously. So, I wake up and I and I I look at that score. Uh we'll talk about the other score here in a second, but the whole like Packers when I looked up and I'm like wait hold up what like I was like this one over the other one like the other one I'm speaking of the Bengals and Titans that one was more believable because the Titans I don't really think are necessarily a a number one seed worthy per se Um, but you look at the Packers and you're thinking okay they're 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 decent team overall on both sides of the ball they got a good great quarterback per se but I was like look up and I'm like this is just, you know, I don't believe in karma, but, you know, if there was such a thing, you know, this is just Aaron Rodgers. And, and again, I think I give credit to the, the 49ers. You know, Garoppolo has been told, hey, you're just our replacement quarterback, basically, until Trey Lance is ready, and then you're gone. You know, you look at – they lost Trey Sermon. They lost the, all their running backs, basically. Debo Samuel has been playing a dual threat for the whole year. You look at their defense. They have Nick Bosa finally healthy and back. So, I, I mean, I, to be honest, you, look, you watch the highlights of that game and you're like, you know what, the Packers deserve to lose. I mean, the way they played and everything like that. Can we just say something, too, about the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan? Because yes. I think Browns fans will appreciate this much. You mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo, not the greatest quarterback, but he has played in a Super Bowl with these 49ers yep. and he's on the brink of doing another one. And he was a backup think- to Brady, too. And the 49ers are in this position, not because of him. It's just kind of like exactly because Kyle Shanahan knows their strengths. They're a run first team. They're strong on defense. They don't try to pretend to be this pass first team in this passing era of the NFL, which is more sexy than the run first smash mouth yeah. lower scoring style. But they own who they are. And teams like the Browns and the Colts, who have bona fide running backs, <laughs> can't get out of their way and decide to try to be pass first teams. And they're missing the playoffs. And meanwhile, the 49ers are owning who they are. They're playing for a Super Bowl next week. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's really cool to see teams like that. And I, I, I agree with you 100%. Like the Browns, I would even say to an extent, 
you know, even the Ravens per se, right? Like the Ravens, yeah, they can throw the ball, but they're not a they're not a throwing first team. They like to run. That's like exactly. And so what I'm saying is these NFL teams, they love the flashy quarterbacks. They see the Tom Brady's, they see, you know, all these different quarterbacks that can just sling the ball. But if you don't have that, stop acting like you do. What made the Browns good last year, and we said this last week, what made the Browns good last year was the fact that they just hand the ball to Nick Chubb cream hunt they did short screen passes and said you know what baker you manage the game and we'll do the rest and if they had the defense they had this year put on last year's team i think this is a it's a totally different year than last year i really do yeah and so yeah so that's what it comes down to just own who you are and play to your strengths don't try to be someone you're not and a team that has owned who they are is the cincinnati Bengals. and boy does it pain it, it's so painful to say that as a Browns fan, mainly because my brother just, he's just, he's a Bengals fan. Every time I look at Instagram or Facebook, it's who day, who day. And it's just like, you know what, you know, I, I, it is what it is, but um, what are your thoughts on the Bengals uh, as a Browns fan, but as a NFL fan in general? So I don't know if I'm as low on the Titans as you were. I, it is kind of wild that they were the number one seed considering how good the yeah. Bills and the Chiefs were, but a good team nonetheless. But they also weren't exactly at full strength. This was Derrick Henry's first game since, what was it, like week seven or week yeah. eight yeah, yeah. that he got hurt. And he didn't play bad, but I don't know if he was like able to be his complete self. And Ryan Tannehill was, picked like the worst game to play his worst game basically <laughs> I like, saw this stat. is the playoff you need your team to be at its best and they didn't a... you need to be that great like no. they limited the bank I thought pretty good they because... they limited Joe I would say this Tannehill had one of the worst games he had a, I think I saw the stat he had an interception on his first pass what was it? his first pass and his last pass and then there was one other thing I can't remember but I know that he had like a, it was just a weird stat that he had interceptions on um but my thought of the Bengals is, is that, you know what, this is what the Browns were last year. If you really look at it, it's a similar story. It's not the same story, but it's the idea that no one, they thought, oh, they made the playoffs. Great job. Right. And people kind of doubted them, said, hey, they're, they're not going to make it. Now the Browns didn't get make it as far as the Bengals, but it's the similar story of like the one thing about the NFL and the one thing I've loved it since I was a little kid was that the playoffs bring the best out of every team and you could be the wild card, you could have won nine games all year, but you get on a run like the Bengals have been on a run and you can become a scary team. And then think about it. The Bengals can make the Super Bowl before the Steelers, before the Ravens, before the Browns. And if I have to sit there for the next 365 days and just hear the yappers, it's just going to be uh, it'll be an interesting year if the Bengals somehow make it. To the play- I don't, by the way, I- I'm just going to say that now. I, I hate to say that because I'm probably going to be wrong, but I just think that the Chiefs and the Bills are just too, too dominant uh, of a four, either one of those teams. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's becoming easier, I think, in the NFL, or at least we've seen blueprints of teams that have been so bad, but then instantly turned it around. Um, I think the Rams were a prime example of that, getting the first pick with Jared Goff, and then, like, yeah. I think it was two or three seasons later, they're playing for a Super Bowl. Yeah, Bengals, I think, are one year ahead of them with the path that they're on right now with just game Burrow last year and now in his Jamar second Chase. season they're playing in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, with Jamar Chase. So yeah. these, like, I know that teams like to say that a rebuild is going to take, like, five to six years. It doesn't, though. Been standard, but, I mean, we're seeing it get done even quicker. Like, because maybe teams those are, are outliers, but it is possible. Well, I think because teams are willing to spend money, and I think that's the difference now, is I think – 
now like bad teams are not getting like like every team I think is getting a decent amount of players, but then the drafts have been so much better. I think teams get more quality players every year. They don't take risk as much, at least, at least as I've been watching the last few drafts, like teams want a guy, they get their guy. They don't risk it. They don't try to go over the the edge. They say, you know what? This is our guy. We're going to get, look at Mac Jones. Everyone thought it was crazy for the Patriots to get him there when they draft him, but Belichick knew what he was doing. He got the guy he wanted, you know, and those are the kind of things that make your winner, winner lose seasons really. Yeah. The other thing too is the kind of interesting about these rebuilds is the Rams have done it mostly with making big trades. Like they haven't yeah. really done it through the draft other than golf. Like they've gone out and gotten guys like uh, Jalen Ramsey. Like they gave up a lot of draft picks for him. I think they went out and got uh, Dante Fowler and like all these other players. They make a trade for Odell Beckham this year because they think that they need another weapon. And then the Bengals, they have they've done it more so I think through the draft like a couple of their bigger impact guys are chase and bro but they also have completely ignored their issue at offensive line <laughs> I think the Titans got eight or nine sacks on burrow yesterday and it still wasn't enough to beat them it's really wild yeah it is it is a wild I think a wild just I, I really honestly just that whole situation with Cincinnati is, is awesome it's it's crazy and awesome at the same time but speaking of you know, we talked about coaches, Kyle Shanahan, those kind of thing. I think we both know that there's some been some craziness happening in college football. I think in general, we both can agree that this is, I don't know about you, this has been probably some of the craziest moves via coaches that I remember, at least in the last five to 10 years. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, so, so what are your thoughts just overall before we go into individual moves? What are your thoughts overall on the coaching changes and the way the landscape now in the NCAA works compared to what it was when we were in high school or even before we were in high school? Yeah, I mean, collectively, I think this has been the most wild college football all season considering recruiting and coaches and transfers and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just been the wild, wild west. I don't really know any other way to describe <laughs> this offseason. But about coaches specifically, too, like – we will see uh, coaches at higher profile programs get fired and then replaced by maybe um, a smaller uh, head coach at like a smaller team that kind of built them to prominence. Now he's getting like a promotion, yeah. quote unquote, to a power five team or they'll hire uh, someone internally. But this has been like none of these guys that we're going to talk about here have been fired. They've all just decided to go to different spots. And some of these holes were created because other coaches left. Some of them were created by firings, but none of the coaches that we're going to talk about here were fired. And it is a bunch of big names. It's not so much uh, going to find like the next great coach from like a small school. Yeah. Like it was really, I don't know if it was a situ situation of uh, money talks or guys wanting to go back to uh, some of their roots in some cases, but there were just so many, like, and we're only going to talk about five head coaches. Yeah, that's today. true. Like, there were yeah. So many more than that, that I think are going to be impactful. Do you, do you think in your, you know, you, you cut, you've watched football, you cover, you know, high school sports and all that. Would you say that this is, this is the new era of, college coaching it's like basically whoever offers the most money that's who's going to get do you and, and my second question to that is do you think that's true and, and second question is do you think loyalty loyalty is still around in in the football in the football college football world so let's talk about loyalty and and money and stuff could you see uh anybody in college football pulling nick saban from alabama <sighs> I 
Like, I, I think right I now don't. he's paying like 10 or 11 million. Let's just say that any school out there just offers him like 15 million. Do you think he leaves Alabama? Unless there's an instinct, unless there's a circumstance that makes him leave, I don't think so. I, I think there are certain guys, I will say there's certain guys that won't leave. And I, I now again, that's money. I mean, who mm-hmm. knows? I mean, think about it. If me or you sitting here and someone offers you $15 million to leave your current job, which you love, you've built up, you desire to be at, someone offers you $15 million, it's, I mean, what are you going to do? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I would agree with you in the sense that, like, there maybe are some that maybe won't leave. There um, are, like, there are a few that I think would stay planted, but there, I will say, I did think that there were certain jobs that I considered, like, destination jobs, and once you got that job, you would never leave, but... Um, like Notre Dame's an example of one of those. It's just kind of like once you get to Notre Dame, you're either going to leave because you got fired or because you retired. Oklahoma's but, another one of the two. Oklahoma's another yeah. one. You know, it's yeah, like Oklahoma's the place. Oklahoma's another one. Where it's like once you get there, like Bob Stoops, like he retired, and then yeah. that was how he got out. And then Lincoln Riley comes in, and I figured that he would probably be there for the rest of his career because he's turned down talks from the NFL and from other schools. Yeah. I mean, you think of Ryan Day. I mean, I'll, I'll touch on this when I talk about the coordinator, but, you know, you hear all these rumblings that he's going to go to the NFL, and Ryan Day comes out and says, why would I leave? Like, he has everything he wants. He'd have to start a whole new thing. He'd have to go back to the NFL, learn the NFL again. Some, you got to forget that some of these coaches, especially if they're young, they don't want to leave. They have a young family. They don't want to keep moving their family. For me, I look at Kirk Ferentz from Iowa, who's been there, I feel like, before I was born. I mean, the guy's been there forever. I think you know, he's the longest tenured coach. Yeah, in he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So you have, you have Kirk Ferentz, you have, you know, you, you're not going to see it. I guarantee this. You'll never see another Joe, Joe Paterno. You'll never see one of those. You'll never see another Woody Hayes. You'll never see another, you know, you know, Kirk Ferentz. I don't see right now in the day of age of college football, you'll see a coach stay for 20 years at a program. I don't see it unless one, either they're making a ton of money <laughs> or two, they're from that school, they're from that area, and they just they want to have their family there. Because it's really hard for me to look at, like, let's say, let's look at, you know, let's say, look, let's look at a South Carolina job, right? Like, I, you, those are the kind of jobs, unless it's Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, even, you know, USC, some of these bigger schools, that might be the one school you might get a guy for 10 years, maybe seven years. I just don't see a guy that's, unless it's a small school going for 20 years. Yeah. The other point about day that I want to bring up too, is like, especially in this era where uh, guys are like trying to move up, move up, move up. And Day's yeah. had so much success as the offensive coordinator. He's had so much success as the head coach. Ohio State's offense is just even better. Like if he wanted to go to the NFL right now would be the time, right? After Ohio State has what you would say is maybe a down year by their standards. They have so much going on on the defensive side of the ball that it's going to take a lot of work. And he has put in a lot of work too fix that defense already but he could have easily just said no I'm not going to stay here and do this work I'm going to go ahead and go to the NFL where I want to be and where I can make more money and uh, continue to grow a name for myself as one of the top offensive minds in football but I think it speaks a lot that he was willing to stay at Ohio State uh, try to fix that problem there and continue to build Ohio State brand I think uh, that might be part of it is he wants to actually be at Ohio State yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And yeah, so I think from that, we're going to we're gonna first start out with everyone. By the way, I meant to talk about the NFL before I move on. We'll have our Super Bowl picks probably like after next week once we figure out the championship because there's a week between the, the AFC championship and those and Super Bowl. So that will come out at some point here. But uh, moving to coaches, let's start with coordinators. 
do you want me to start? You want to introduce this? What are we going to talk about coordinators and what, what is, tell everyone what we're going to be talking about coordinators wise. Yeah. So we will end it with talking about the five biggest head coaching moves that we thought, but we're going to start with coordinator moves as well, because some of those can be very impactful as well. Now there were some names that moved around, but there's also some prominent roles that might be uh, filled in with some guys that nobody really knows about. So it's yeah. kind of like a combination of name, but also prominence of the role. So we're going to start with a, a couple of assistants that we think are going to be pretty impactful uh, on the top of Ohio State. Ben, why don't you start with uh, yeah. maybe the biggest uh, assistant hire of the college football offseason so far, Jim Knowles? Yeah, uh, Jim Knowles. Uh, if you guys don't know, he was the the mastermind, I like to call him, uh, the mastermind of the Oklahoma State defense. And you might be saying, wait a minute, Ben, it's the Oklahoma State defense. Yeah, look at the numbers. They were pretty much the best defense in college football. I had football. to look it up myself. When everyone was talking about how great Knowles was, I was like, excuse me? And then I was like, wow, they very quietly had one of the best defenses. And by the way, if you look at the last four years he was there or whatever, they quietly got better every year. And people ask me, you know, Ben, will this make a difference to the defense? The defense is what cost Ohio State the season. I like to correct them and say, no, it wasn't just the defense. It was an overall team effort because – there's many things we could all point out at Ohio State's year that, you know, special teams, I mean, half the time we kick the ball and goes out of bounds. That's besides the point. Um, but I look at Jim Knowles, and this is my my first honest opinion about him. I think it's the it's what goes down at one of the smartest hires that Ryan Day probably will ever have at Ohio State. This is why. He finally is letting go of controlling everything, and he's finally letting someone take over the defense. And what I mean by that is, is that he relied too much on the urban mentality. And what I mean by the urban mentality is that I'm going to put the guys that I know, the guys that I can kind of convince. No, this time he went out and got a guy that's never been to high estate. He's never like he, he, he's coached at Cornell, I believe. And then Oklahoma state, like this guy is not a, you know, let's say true Buckeye per se. He's given it, given the reins and saying, Hey, you take over. He also had to make, also, I think on the other side, one of the hardest decisions I think any head coach has been to make is letting go of a coach that has been there through the thick and thin, who's went through a lot, and that's Coach Combs. Uh, I briefly want to mention him because that's a guy that everyone thought was going to be the defense coordinator, right? That's how they got him away from the Titans. But he just is not a defense coordinator. Like, <laughs> as much as I love Coach Combs, he's very a great develop, very de great developer. He can develop cornerbacks. We've seen it. But he's not a guy that's going to go out there. And, and it's funny because I'll mention this. High State took Cincinnati's DB coach who had the Thorpe winner and then Combs swapped places, basically. So we kind of did a trade with Cincinnati, but that's besides the point. Um, but, yeah, I think Jim Knowles is going to be a guy that's going to make a difference. Now, I, I want to put a pause on Ohio State fans right now. Don't think that by him coming in here, the defense is going to be amazing week one. It could be. But I'm also a realist and realize this is a whole new defense. They run, a, I believe, a 4-2-5. And they run like basically like two bullet positions. We had a bullet. They were, It's weird. It's like a weird defense. So they got a transfer in McAllister, who's ran the defense before. Um, and they also uh, have a few uh, transfers that, that will be able to adapt, I think, pretty well to the defense. So, again, those are my first thoughts. I think Buckeye fans don't get so, so excited because we have to let him work with the defense. And I'm very worried about recruiting. I, I've never said that as a high state fan, but you brought in three new coaches. One's coached at the, basically at Cincinnati, which is not the greatest hotbed to bring talent in. 
you've got another guy who's been in the NFL for 10 years, former Buckeye, and then coach Coach Knowles, who never really recruited at a high level. So I'm very interested to see on that end, how do we get those top-notch guys? Yeah, I'm with you too, especially on uh, the, the Urban Meyer point. I think if this was a situation Urban Meyer was the head coach and he would try to insert himself even more into the defense yeah. because – we're finding out more and more, uh, especially with his debacle with the Jaguars, that he's just a really power-hungry guy, and he doesn't have, uh, I guess, the willingness to take a step back and let other people do the job that me know it better than him. So yeah. props to Brian Day for doing that initially. Um, the defense, I think, like you said, it's going to take a while to get everybody back up and running just because, you know, you got to have guys learn your system. you got to have – recruits come in and learn the system um and you also got new coaches yeah. that are learning it as well um but you also are going to have um a healthier seven banks you're going to have a healthier josh proctor i believe both of those guys were well in and se out. seven banks i believe he's talked about declaring i know cam brown's coming back seven banks has said that he's probably going to declare which will which will be a blow but it's still interesting so but yes, yeah. they do have Josh Proctor coming back, which is I think huge. They're and they gonna also have uh, they're going to have Zach Harrison coming back, I believe, yep. and they're going to yep. have Jack Sawyer as a sophomore now, very highly recruited. And Tumalau, Tumalau. Yeah. Yes. And as far as uh, your def your new defensive backs coach go, I mean, I think it speaks a lot to have Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner, two of the top cornerbacks that are going to be in this coming draft. Um, Bryant was an Ohio product, so maybe you could just attribute uh, him being able to get him to Cincinnati because of that. But Sauce is from Michigan, so he – I don't know how highly Sauce was. He was, like, I think, a three-star. a three star. I think he was a three-star, a low four-star, one of those okay. kind of guys. But to, but to be able to pull him away from, like, that Michigan State, Michigan territory, I think it – speaks that he can go out and get a guy and develop a guy at the very least. But Kerry is also a very good recruiter in the state of Ohio yeah. and he's at Cincinnati now. So it's going to be interesting. That is a big guy that you're going to have to go up against. Yeah. And, and so I think it is, it's a great move by Ryan day. I, I mean, I've said this enough. Ryan day should, does, people need to stop saying that he was, he is still in the coattails of urban Meyer. Like I, I get tired of hearing it. He has changed that program so much since Urban left in the sense of how it's run. They have their own mindset. They don't, they don't necessarily run the same way Urban did. Like they have the same, some of the same coaches, some of the same mentality. But Ryan Day has said, this is my program now. I'm going to run it the way I see fit. And you can see that, I think, very evident every year. He's getting the guys he wants. Like I look at some of these guys he recruits. And I'm like, yeah, Urban wouldn't have got him. Yeah, three-star, why? <laughs> you know, like, but... Ryan Day looks at a guy and says, he fits our mold. It's not that we're going to get the best guy available, which they want to. But I think many times you see him going and find these gems that are kind of hidden, you know, the three-star, the four-star guys. Um, and I think that's the difference between Ohio State and Alabama. Is Alabama will get the five-star and four-star guys every year. Ohio State will go out and say, hey, we'll get a few three-stars that we can develop and turn them into like a Denzel Burke, who is a very low four-star, wasn't highly recruited, and has turned him into a top, top, cornerback in the nation if you look at it stat wise yeah and urban wasn't even a bad recruiter either. no no but, no no. but i think ryan and he's going is this next coming season going to be days fourth season yeah fourth season if you don't count, so we're count the intern. basically everything that urban had built for ohio state kind of out the window and we're going to see days yep. all days guys quote unquote at ohio state and we're going to get yeah. to see just what he can do really from here i'd on also out. like to point out that ohio state has their long snapper coming back for a seventh season 
I just want to point that out. And on top of that, they have their kicker who just announced that he's coming back and their punter. All right. We have our special teams intact. I just want everyone to know that. And we're going to have our kicker back. That's the most important thing. We see it last night in the playoffs in the NFL players. You don't have a kicker. You're not winning games. That's all I got to say, you know? So sure, man. moving on from Ohio state, I could talk about Ohio state all day. We all know that. You could, man. We don't want to go out too many. Exactly. So let's move into the kind of coordinators that you really, you texted me this week. and said, these are the guys I want to talk about. And I couldn't agree with you more. So who are we talking about? And why do you think the impact is of this? Yeah, so they may be guys that nobody's heard of, and it's because they've really kind of been underground, buried in the Clemson program. So Clemson has kind of risen to prominence under Debo Sweeney, and I think a big part of that has been uh, one of the more impressive parts of Clemson has been the consistency in the coaching staff. Like uh, Jeff Scott was with them as the receiver coach from 2008 to 2019. He was the co-offensive coordinator with Tony Elliott from 2015 to 2019. And then you have Brent Venables, who was the defensive coordinator from 2012 to 2021. Both of those guys have now since gone. And, I mean, Jeff Scott took off a little earlier. Tony Elliott got promoted to his position as OC, and now he's gone at Virginia. So they're going to have a new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Now, offensive coordinator is Brandon Streeter, who's been at Clemson as the QB coach from 2015 up until this last season. So he's been in there I think that means that he has coached Trevor Lawrence he's coached Kelly Bryant and I believe the tail end of Deshaun Watson yeah um before Clemson he was the only offensive coordinator experience he's ever had came at Liberty in Richmond but that was so long ago so he hasn't done it for a while and it was also at a much smaller scale like Liberty's becoming more of a football power they weren't exactly that uh during the mid 2000s when he was there Richmond yep. also not a football power so he's t- stepping up in a quite a big role here at Clemson in a, after a season where Clemson kind of took a step back like they really I think shocked a lot of people I think they lost their first two games they ended the year I don't know if it was three losses total but it wasn't typical Clemson football and then we can move over to the defensive side where uh, Wes Goodwin is taking over. Now he's been at Clemson quite a bit. He was GA there um, 2009, 2011. And then he was a defensive analyst for a couple years after that, before taking a job with the Arizona Cardinals as an assistant to the head coach. I don't really know what that means. Like Dwight Schrute type stuff. Assistant <laughs> to the head coach. He was assistant Instead to the of head assistant coach. coach. Yeah. Very weird titles. I don't really know what they all entail but they have some weird dude, t- that's one thing we'll pause right what's up with college football the the, the titles, titles are man. so like, weird all these like like passing game coordinator run game coordinator my dad said this my dad said this i thought it was really great he goes no what it is is it's we're going to give you another title so one it secures you here and we can pay you more money so that yeah. it looks like you're more important that's right. basically what it is i've heard that too from from former coaches that talk it's like that's what it is so it's just a it's just a money raise that's all it is yeah but um anyway so goodwin was with clemson from 2009 to 2014 as a ga and defensive analyst he returned to clemson after that stint with the cardinals as a defensive assistant from 2018 to 2021 and now after brent, brent after Brent Venables is gone, he's going to take his job as the linebacker coach and defense. That's a big shoes to fill. 
That's it's big shoes huge. Too. It's huge. Like at least Brandon Streeter has had uh, experience calling plays, but this guy has not only been, he's never been a position coach. He's never been a play caller. So yeah. Clemson's got like these two internal hires, which cool, right? Like bringing yeah. up uh, and, and empowering your smaller assistants. But for a program as big as Clemson, Dabo's going a little you crazy. Go out and get a guy like like Ryan Day did going out to get Jim Knowles. Like yeah. he tried to do that by promoting Kerry to defensive coordinator. And instead of like keeping Matt Barnes on as the defensive coordinator, he decided, no, this isn't the solution. We need to go out and get a guy. And Dabo's already kind of come out and said like, we're not doing this transfer portal stuff. We're not going to, you know, evolve with the game of college football. We're not going to go out and get guys. We're just going to, then you're going to lose. We have all the winners. Right. So that was a very long uh, description of kind of the situation that Clemson's in right now. But I think these two hires, I, I got to be skeptical, Ben, because they aren't very prominent. They haven't had a lot of experience in these yeah. spots. You usually don't have the solution to your problem in-house. And after the bad season Clemson had, I think this could be the breaking point where Clemson like falls back to irrelevance. Maybe Dabo's fired in a couple of years. Like this is yeah, a... I very important upcoming season for the Tigers. You know, and I understand when when Dabo said, we're not going to go into the transfer portal because Ryan Day said something very similar, and I'll say this. He basically said something on the lines of, we're only going to go to the transfer portal if it makes sense for us. So basically what Ryan Day is saying, hey, we'll go to the transfer portal. If you're good for us, you, you're good fit, your chemistry-wise will be fine, then we'll get you. The difference between that and what Dabo said is, Dabo's like, I'm not going to involve with college football. Dabo is the last few years has been very weird about things. Like he's been very vocal. He called out Ohio state, high state goes, whips them a whole bunch of things. Right. But I look at Dabo and I think you got to be careful. You might think that you have a great contract, a great set of athletic treasures behind you, but this is a new age of football. And you know, this Josh, as well as I do, it could be like that. And as soon as you look He'd be like, hey, you know what? We only won seven games this year. I, we don't really like where this is going. Let's get someone else in there. And I, I agree with you 100% when you talk about going someone from inside the program up. That scares me because I've witnessed it as a high State fan. I've seen how it looks good, right? It looks good for the fans. It looks good for the program. But be realistic. Is this what's going to make us to the next level? And I think if Ryan Day had a do-over and he has said this, he would reconsider how he does things. Who do you get? And so I agree with you. I think the offensive side, they'll be okay because I think Dabo is going to have a lot of control, kind of like Ryan Day, where he kind of controls some of that offensive side of things. But I think the defensive side, I mean, does Dabo give him 100% control? Does he try to put his hands where he don't belong? That's, that's, that's where I'm at, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the thing about Clemson is like the ACC is such it's been an easy conference to win. Right. There hasn't been too much competition. But if they fall off here um, and I think we're also seeing some other programs in the ACC kind of rise up. Wake now, Forest. Wake Forest is one. Pittsburgh. Yeah, North, North Carolina has been kind of clawing there, but they took a step back and then they're going to lose Sam Howell. So we're going to have to see what Mac Brown does there, but nobody's been able to do it as consistently as Clemson. Yeah. That's, I think that's been the big thing. Like we've seen some teams kind of come up here like Wake Forest, like North Carolina it, hasn't passed. Miami has done it. Um, I think the coastal had like seven different winners in seven years. I think it's before. very similar. It's very similar to the PAC 12. I think you look at both those conferences, the same thing. 
Oregon had it for a while, then Washington, then Oregon again, you know, but no one's had it like Clemson. I think Clemson's the, the Ohio state of the ACC, right? Like they took a step back this year. The difference is, is who's, which team is going to jump back on top of their conference. That's the question. The other thing about Clemson, the other thing about Clemson too, that I've liked from, I guess their run to prominence has been like their ability to develop players. Like they haven't always been the highest rated team in recruiting, but they've been able to take, like two or three star guys like Isaiah Simmons and turn them into first round picks. First they round had, freaks. Like, first round freaks. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't, I don't know about how their receivers have been in terms of recruiting, but I also know they've gone out and gotten guys like, uh, and this is Jeff Scott's work. He's gone out and gotten guys like Sammy Watkins and DeAndre Hopkins, and he's gotten T Higgins. Yes. And he's gotten Mike Williams and Hunter Renfro. Like Clemson has kind of been wide receiver. You, if not them, maybe Ohio State or Bama in that discussion, but we're going to have to see, um, if they can keep this going. I'm not sure that these guys are that yeah. guy. I think this is kind of a mistake to stay in-house. They're not evolving with the game, as it sounds like you agree with me, and I think we're going to start to see Clemson fall off uh, their run from grace here. What's your prediction, then, for Clemson next year? What's your prediction? What, what do you think? Where do they fall next year? See, that's all going to depend, I think, on how uh, DJ Oyangalale I hope I said his name right, <laughs> continues to play, right? Because he was the number one QB in his class. He comes last year as a freshman and fills in for Trevor Lawrence when, in the Notre Dame game when he was out with COVID. And he crushed it, honestly. Like, they didn't win the game, but it gave Clemson fans, I think, like, uh, it showed promise. Like, we got our guy. And then he came out and laid an egg in the Georgia game right off the bat. Now, in hindsight, Georgia's defense was incredible and did that to a lot of other quarterbacks. But DJ never really – had a great game this year he didn't really show a lot of improvement to me at least and it was kind of a dud season well you look so at it too I think a lot of clemson season next year their success could be riding on uh if dj takes that step forward or not and if not i think uh and this is also because the acc still isn't super strong yet to me i think clemson's floor is like eight or nine wins yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but they also have that five-star quarterback coming in, number one rated quarterback in Kubnik, Kubnik, Krubnik, something like that. I don't know. It's it's some name like that, but he's really good. At least they say he is, but they say that about a lot of quarterbacks and they're okay in college, right? So uh, again, so I think, yeah, that I agree with you on that. I think for me, I'd say at the best, they win 10 games at the best. I think the worst you see them, I'm going to go seven. I, I hate to say it, but... I, I just I don't know how this defense is going to respond. That's the worry I have for Clemson. Not their offense. I think their offense they can figure out something. But we saw at Ohio State. If you can't figure out the defense, you could have the best offense. Which I think we both agree that Ohio State probably had the best overall offense in the nation, if not the best top two. And they but didn't the have team a defense. That won the national championship was the team that perhaps had the best defense in college. Exactly. Football. That defense wins championships. It's proven. So moving from you know, defensive coaches, offensive coaches, let's talk head coaching changes. Um, I think, I think we'll start, we'll save the biggest one. I think we both agree for last. Um, but let's talk with, uh, we'll talk about the Clemson coordinator, Brent Denables going to Oklahoma university. Um, since you kind of were on that Clemson, go ahead and talk your thoughts on this move and why it's good, why it's not, what it can affect Oklahoma. Yeah. So we were talking about loyalty a little bit earlier and I think, <laughs> Um, Venables has a track record of loyalty. We just, I'd mentioned he was at Clemson 2012, 2021, and he had gotten head coaching offers thrown at him or NFL offers thrown at him. Left and right. (laughs) Yeah. And he continued to stay at Clemson. And 
I don't know if that was just because he loved Clemson all that much or if he was just waiting for the opportunity that he thought was best. And before he took that Clemson job in 2012, he actually was at Oklahoma from 1999 to 2011 in the defensive coordinator role. And I think that was his job. I I honestly believe that was the job he was waiting for. That's what a lot of people think, that that was the job he's like, I want to come back. Once he got that, uh, that opening opened up and that offer came, then he decided to jump ship. So, um, the defense has been lacking at Clemson and obviously that's Venable's area of expertise. He runs a very, uh, I guess, high power, complicated kind of scheme at Clemson where they're kind of waiting to see how the offense lines up before they make their play call, which is, which is, crazy sometimes to watch you need to that. have like really smart defenders to do that as well <laughs> like the guys that have to all be on the same page about that so yeah Oklahoma I don't think anybody's been questioning their offense for the especially during the playoff era but the defense has been a problem and I think going out and getting a guy like Venables is a smart move on the Oklahoma part the guy's a proven mm-hmm. uh, defensive genius He's shown loyalty, so I don't think he would necessarily jump ship on Oklahoma if he got another offer to come. The only thing that would worry me about taking a job at Oklahoma is while they are in the Big 12 right now and it's very easy to win that conference, Like it seems that Oklahoma can just kind of um, not even try and at least contend for that top spot, but they're going to be in the SEC in a couple years, yeah. man, and that yeah. conference is going to be – a nightmare to try to win. And we've seen Oklahoma get spanked by teams like LSU in the playoffs. Uh, they don't really seem to do too well outside the conference, but maybe that's because the defense has just been bad. So maybe with improved defense, they can be competitive in the sec, but overall I like this move. I don't know if Venables will be able to continue the success that Lincoln Riley has just because they are going to switch conferences soon. Um, but that's kind of like my assessment. This is a good hire. And I don't think Venables is going to leave if things get tough. I think, I think this is like his destination job that he waited for, and it's going to be uh, either him getting fired or him retiring from this point. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, and I think uh, I just thought of this as we were t- as you were talking, but I think we need to do like a rating out of ten for each coach. So, what is your rating for the Venables hire for Oklahoma? Out of ten, ten being the best, one being the worst. Yeah. So uh, obviously, I like the way that. Uh, or like his resume, I think it's a great spot. But at least for him, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. This is a very tough first head coaching gig to get. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give this one an eight. An eight. All right. Mostly That's... just because I like uh, I like Venable's resume. Not necessarily uh, maybe the first head coaching gig for him. I'm not, especially with the conference change, yeah. I'm not super high on that. It doesn't seem like a, a slam dunk 10 out of 10. But I really like what he's done. And I think he at least is going to continue uh, to keep Oklahoma in contention and relevance. I don't think they're going to fall off by any means. Yeah, I would have to agree with you too. I think it's a, about an eight. I like a seven and a half. I'm weird. I do seven and a halves. Uh, I think seven and a half, I think my biggest concern with Venables is how will he adapt one to the big 12 offenses? I think that's a big, a big test for his defense, right? How many guys will he end up losing by the end of the summer? That's my question. How many guys stick it out here at Oklahoma? We've already seen a bunch transfer. You know, will he have a quarterback? Is it going to be Dylan Gabriel? Is it going to be who? Right? Like, we, we don't really know. Um, I, I think their ceiling next year is, is 10, 11 wins. I think their, their low could be an eight-win season. Um, again, I think the Big 12 is good. Um, I, they're not great. But, again, I think, I think Baylor's up there and, and Oklahoma State, maybe. We don't know. So, 
um, Texas, who knows what Texas, <laughs> I think we all just, <laughs> we don't know what Texas. Um, so yeah, so I think I'll give it a seven and a half, uh, out of 10, um, for that. Our next coach. So we have Venables, right. Coming from, coming from Clemson as a coordinator. This one is an interesting one. This one is a head coach to head coach, which to be honest, the next three are that way or two out of the next three of the next four Mario Cristobal who played college football where Josh he played at the U and he was at Oregon they were paying him a lot of money at a great facilities we both know that right great facilities spot basically gives Nike gives them money I mean it's just they basically have Nike's money and yet he turns that all down to head on down south where it's warmer to Miami where he'll be at the U next year this is for me one of the most weird hires I think out of the cycle that there's one more that's more weird, but this one's kind of weird too. I mean, I look at Mario, you come off with a big win uh, against Ohio state, right? You go into the shoe as an Ohio state fan. I hated it. Trust me. Um, you go, you beat Ohio state in the shoe. You have a very good year. Utah owns you. We, we don't talk about that, but outside of that, you had a, you have everything you want. You have great facilities. You're recruiting pretty good. you, you have Thibodeau, who's going to be the number one pick this year. I mean, you had him, you recruited him. It's just weird for me, the way he left. Like, basically, they were interviewing him while Manny Diaz was still the head coach recruiting. They brought him in to basically say, hey, we'll give you this much money. To me, it's just weird, and I don't have a great vibe. I'm giving it like a five. I, that's just grace from God to give it a five. I mean, I... It's just weird for me. I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I. It's just a lot of weird stuff for me. Yeah, I don't know if I'll give it that low of a grade. I'll give my whole breakdown and then my grade after I hear myself say it out loud. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm with you on the fact that this was very strange. Like Oregon, I don't know if I would call it a destination job just because the last three or four coaches I've had have all left. But it was a very great job. Like you said, Phil Knight's in your back pocket with uh, money to shell out, especially now in this new era of name, image, and likeness. Yep. Like I can't imagine how well that's going to play to Oregon's advantage in the future. The facilities are incredible. Um, the Pac-12 hasn't been a very strong conference. It's kind of been uh, Oregon's conference to win for the most part, mm -hmm. but they've also had some struggles with Utah like this year. They've made it to the playoff, but they really should be more of a playoff contender than what they have been. They've just never been able to get over that hump. But Mario has been an incredible recruiter, getting talent in the building, like Kayvon Thibodeau. He's also a big dude. He's also huge. He played offensive line in college football. Massive. Like from Miami, that's where he played. So that might be a little bit of where you see that. And maybe that also explains how he was able to get a guy like Panay Sewell and make him the best <laughs> offensive lineman in college football history, right? It's ridiculous. But, yeah, so that's kind of like Mario's situation. And then, yeah, the Miami jumping. Let's just start with the move to Miami. Like, I don't even know if this is like a lateral move. I feel like he's almost stepping down. That's what I thought, too. Like, from the job, yeah. Like, the only thing that I can think of that he likes about this is that, you know, he's coming home, quote, unquote, back to his roots. You know, like what Brent Venables is doing at Oklahoma to an extent. Um, but, at least, but at least Brent Venables is going to, like, a sideways job. Like, he's just kind of moving sort of up. Right. Like, like, I, I would say that Clemson and Oklahoma as programs are basically like on the same level right exactly. now. But Miami, while they have the history, I mean, it's been, what, two decades since they've been yeah. like in football relevance? Yeah. Ever since the Ohio State National Championship, that's been like the last time they've really been a national power. 
which Ohio uh-huh. State was predicted not to win, by the way. I like to point out to all the f- listeners out there. Yeah, those Miami teams were stacked. I think that that played part into it. So, but credit to Ohio State in that championship game. But one of the one, by the way, one of the greatest games I've ever watched. And I was like six years old. One of the greatest games I ever watched. It was on I school not, night too, and I remember that. I did not watch it live, but uh, I have seen the whole game start to finish on replay, and it was one of the it greatest games. One. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, Mario Cristobal. But Miami. yes, Larry Coker was the head coach of that championship or that championship Miami team. Yeah. And since he has left, they've had guys like Randy Shannon and Al Golden and Mark Richt. And most recently, Manny Diaz tried to come in. And, and, and uh, Manny Diaz Miami was guy. a Miami Diaz was a Miami guy. Like his dad is like, a, it's like a mayor or something like that or something like that. He like, was the defensive coordinator under Mark Richt. He was the guy that, uh, brought the turnover chain over and kind of created some hype for Miami yeah. there for a couple seasons that they weren't bad, but they were a good team. Um, also like the fact that uh, Manny still was the head coach and they're interviewing Mario was weird. Manny was really kind of like a weird hire too, because he took the job at temple, but then after they had like either fired Rick or he resigned or whatever, he immediately yeah. left that temple job like a week or two later and took the Miami. Dude, head some, coach dude something about so, Miami, man. It's something about Miami. It is. <laughs> something down in there. <laughs> Miami, like Oregon, I think has a lot of potential to be great if they get the right guy in. Being in the ACC coastal division is like wide open. Being in Florida, a recruiting hotspot is so huge. Miami, I don't think recruiting has necessarily been their problem though because they've still even in all this time have been bringing in like talented players like first round pick type guys and for whatever reason they just can't put it all together in the field they can't stay consistent um they've only had six eight win seasons since 2007 and they haven't obviously been playing for a championship or any kind of like new year's six bowl uh in this time so the i'm gonna go ahead and give this mario higher an overall six considering all things i'm not as low as you but it is a very weird one i don't know if i mean the formula is there for mario to succeed of course yeah yeah of course it's so hard to do at miami for one reason or another i'm not sure what it is and just because of the fact that he hasn't been able to get oregon over that hump I'm not sure that he's going to be able to do that at Miami either. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give this a six. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's going to be weird. Uh, Josh, which one are we going to hit next? They're both related in a sense, these next two. So which one do you want to start with? They which are. Well, which why one's don't we more start, weird? Why don't we start with uh, the one that started the whole circle with Brian Kelly going to LSU. Going down to LSU. Going down yeah. to LSU. Down to hang out with his family, right? Family. <laughs> Yeah, Notre Dame, anyway, though, I'll start by saying that Notre Dame, like I said earlier, was one of those destination jobs where you either get fired from it or retire from it. And I thought that Kelly had been there for, like, a decade. He had brought Notre Dame back to, like, national prominence. They were contending for playoffs. And he takes off for this job at LSU, which I don't want to call it a lateral move. It's because LSU – they're, they're they're more inconsistent. Let's just say that. Like LSU's always been a good team in my life as a college Go football fan, but it's just their elite teams are very sporadic. Like they're not consistent. Like they have played in four national championships. They've won three of them. They beat Ohio the State. Time. Still remember that? Gosh. Yeah, one of them over Ohio State. The most recent in 2019. But 
Um, they've had their worst two-year stretch here after that 2019 championship, after having to basically replace an entire coaching staff, an entire offense, an entire defense with so much NFL talent and so many guys taking off for other jobs. And, I mean, it was just too much, I think, for Ed Ogeron to be able to fill all that in. And so LSU's just kind of like had these two straight back-to-back down seasons. And so they go out and get a home run hire in Brian Kelly. Now, I think Kelly has done a lot of good work at Notre Dame. I think it took him a while to do that, though, because there was times where he was finishing four and eight at Notre Dame. They were talking about him being fired. But the next thing you know, he's bringing him to a national championship. He's bringing him to the college football playoff. Almost made it to the playoff again, which would have been funny since he that left. That would have been really funny. That would have been hilarious. Yeah. Leave, your, leave your playoff team. like that. Would, I was kind of pulling for that. But um, that's kind of like my assessment of the situation. I think it's obviously a great hire by LSU. Oh, a great, tremendous hire. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and give this one an eight. I'm going to put it at the same level as Venables and I'm going to give it an eight because there has been some stuff on, I guess the LSU side, or maybe actually no, the, on the Brian Kelly side that make me question uh, how successful he could be because he wanted to bring his coordinators from Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese. They turned him down. He wanted to bring Tony Alford down to coach the running from backs Ohio from Ohio State. State. <laughs> a former Notre Dame and Brian Kelly assistant turned him down. Um, after he gets hired, Corey Raymond, LSU's defensive back coach, one of the best in the country, jumps ship, goes to Florida. So I don't know what kind of a staff he's going to bring. I don't even know if assistants like working with him. I think this is, this might be, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I think assistants don't really like to work with him. So his ability to be able to put together a great staff, uh, will, time will tell, obviously, but LSU is a great spot to recruit. They've been a consistently good program, so I don't think he could demolish them any worse than what they are right now. I think at the very least, he's going to take them back to winning like nine or ten games a season. Maybe every now and then they'll be a national championship contender. Um, but I'm going to give the grade an overall eight. What do you think, Ben? Uh, yeah, this is this is an interesting one for me. Uh, you know, we got the Go Tigers. You know, I miss Ordron. He's just a great – I mean, he's a great – he's a great, like – atmosphere for college football he's like just like a southern dude you know it makes sense right but this is what i'll say about brian kelly and i've said this and people hate me for it notre dame fans hate me for it cincinnati fans hated me for it mainly notre dame fans but i just never thought that brian kelly could win the big one never have i mean every time he goes to a big game they they just it's like they don't show up i don't know if it's his motivation i don't know i mean and again I, with the staff thing you if you really look at notre dame and sense that he had good staff, but there's a reason why none of them followed him. Like, you can't just overlook that. And I know it, it might seem we're looking too far into it, but if you have a good coach and you have a good working relationship, relationship with a coach, you're going to bring at least one guy with you. Like, you're going to bring at least one guy. Like, whether that's a graduate assistant, look at um, Jim Knowles, a high state defense coordinator. He brought two graduate assistants with him. Like, you're going to bring somebody with you. And the fact that he didn't makes me, again, go to that thing. I have Notre Dame fans that are friends and they, they say similar things. Like they just don't know where his, his head was sometimes. Um, the fact that he had kind of abandoned the team is what I've been hearing a lot of like, he abandoned, you know, what he was doing. Now, I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, if you're flashed the amount of money, he was flashed. <laughs> Let's be honest. Money talks. I think any of us would leave. Right. I do think too, he was getting stale. What I mean by that is I feel like maybe he was getting stuck with this, like every year I'm good enough to make the playoffs. Um, it also doesn't help that Notre Dame's just scared to death to join the Big Ten. I've said this for about the last 10 years. They've just joined the Big Ten. They actually make the playoff every year or at least get close against Ohio State and Michigan. 
but Notre Dame will not commit to a conference because they don't want to, you know, they have standards is what they say. It's more or less well, it's money too. They got a TV yeah. to stay independent. Exactly. Bucks once again. But again, I think Notre Dame's going to have to choose at some point. I, I've said this. I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to last recruiting guys at a high level. Yeah. Marcus Freeman. We'll talk about him in a second. I just, I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm going to give this a, Oh, I'm going to give this a seven and a half right below. No, I might give this an eight. I think I'm going to give this an eight um, right where you're at. I think it's a great hire for LSU. I'm just iffy about, is this a good hire for Brian Kelly? Is this where he calls it quits after this? Does he go through this the rest of his career and say, Hey, I'm done after this. We've seen LSU be great launching pads, you know, Nick Saban, these kind of guys. Um, I'm interested to see. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely be able to see that speaking of Notre Dame and also Ohio state. Um, we're calling this the Notre Dame Ohio State factory now. Um, Marcus Freeman, who I'll get into the scandal. I'm calling it a scandal. Yes, Josh. I'm calling <laughs> a it a scandal. scandal. Oh my gosh. Um, no, uh, Marcus Freeman it was the defense coordinator at um, Notre Dame. Didn't follow Brian Kelly, which shocked many people. Many people thought he was headed to LSU. Turns them down. Uh, also, this, by the way, was when Ohio State also has reached out to him multiple times to become the defense coordinator at Ohio State. He's turned them down. Flashback to when he was a player at Ohio State, very liked player. I remember watching him when I was a, was a kid. Um, pretty good football player. Um, we thought he was an Ohio State guy, right? Like we thought, you know, Ohio State through and through. Supposedly, after he recently was named head coach, he says, oh, I don't want to make a second, you know, basically doesn't want to make a mistake twice again or whatever, basically make a mistake about going to Notre Dame. Cause he was recruited by Notre Dame. He chose Ohio state over Notre Dame. And now he's saying that he wished he chose Notre Dame, which made a lot of high state fans mad, which then caused even more ruffles through the whole system. And then on top of that, James Laurinaitis, who is a high state. I mean, people love James Laurinaitis, like in around Columbus, they love him. Now he's going to Notre Dame, which is also weird. And yeah, it's just a ripple effect. But besides that, I just wanted to share that as an Ohio State fan. It hurt, Marcus. Marcus, don't don't uh, don't forget about Al Washington either. Another stop. We don't we don't talk about that. Okay, there's more scandals. Since you you let up with this, Ben, I want to give you my perspective as a non-Ohio State fan. I think when you read uh, the Marcus quote in full context, I think he's more saying that he doesn't want to make the same mistake twice of passing up on Notre Dame, not so much the same mistake of choosing Ohio State. I don't think it was calling yeah. Ohio State a mistake. I think it was just saying, like, hey, I've had the chance to go to Notre Dame before, and I'm getting the chance to get this promotion as head coach. I'm not going to turn down Notre Dame a second time and go and take, like, another job at, like, an LSU or an Ohio State, what have you. No, I get that, and I, I, I think, though, there's also better ways you could word it because I think he – He's not stupid. I think he knows that there's a little way of sparking. I mean, because Notre Dame needs that, right? Like they don't have right now. You really, they don't have a true rivalry that's been dominant the last few years. I think they, I think they want to see this a high. They had like Dame. a lot of small ones. Like they had one with Michigan going for a while, but that rivalry is kind of gone because they don't play anymore. Uh, they play USC. That's kind of like a small one. I think they have like a game against Navy. That's kind of like a small rivalry. But they but- want this though. They want. That I think Notre Dame fans and Ohio State fans really don't like each other. It's like Michigan, then there's Notre Dame. I mean, it's like it's pretty much the one two, right? Um, They're going to be playing I, each other these next yes, two seasons, right? Which is what Only makes this series? scandal. It makes it a scandal, Josh. Um, I mean, I'm but, excited for the potential Ohio State Michigan rivalry. Um, oh, yeah. But 
and and maybe Marcus did uh, use his words to his advantage to try to spark something there. But when he initially got the head coaching job, I thought this was an overreaction by Notre Dame at first because they didn't want to lose him to like being a defensive coordinator somewhere yeah. else. And they just want to keep him in the building. It's like, oh, man, what are you guys doing? I, He's but, only been the defensive coordinator there for a year. He's but I think he's going to be a great coach, though. I think he's going to be a great coach. Love him. This yeah, is what yeah. changed my mind is when he got the announcement of being head coach and seeing that video uh, blow up on Twitter of the players' uh, reaction to their new head coach, Marcus Freeman, they just were so uh, excited. And I'm like, man, they – I mean, these are his guys. They are going to play for him, I think. And this looks like the right move, honestly. Yeah, yeah so I think – I think, yeah, I think – I so I will rate this move as I think a nine and a half. I, I really do. I, I like the move. Like, again, I, I opened up with all that. That's mainly me as a high state fan, but me as like an analyst, as looking at this as objectively, like try not to get, you know, my, my own fandom in it. This makes sense on so many levels. You look at Ryan day, you look at, you know, Lincoln Riley, you look at, um, you know, Dabo Sweeney, even, and some of these guys that are player coaches, right? Like the players love playing for them especially like look at Ryan day, like the players love Ryan day. They want to be around Ryan day. They want to pick his brain. Marcus Freeman is the guy that you look at. He's not like a fiery dude per se really, but he's just, he gets the players. He understands them. He's been there. He's done that. Uh, I like to hire. I think it's gonna be a great hire. Again, I look at Al Washington too. I think that's a great bring along a guy who's got experience in the big 10 is bringing that knowledge to Notre Dame. I think it's gonna be a great, great hire. And now we've left. Oh, before we go, we have to get your, what is your, uh, what is your rating? Yeah, I, I don't know if I can give him a nine because at least with some of these others that I give an eight to, I've seen them like be a assistant for a while. Like Marcus Freeman, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the assist or the defensive corner at Notre Dame one season. And then at Cincinnati for only three, right? I think so. Yeah. Cause he left Ohio state. He was at Ohio state for a brief time too. Yeah. I I, so he hasn't been a coordinator super long. I know he's a great recruiter. I know that the players like him a lot. So uh, it seems like, the fit overall is very good. I guess I still, I guess, have some doubts on what can Marcus do in the long term. Yeah, because of course. he's still very new to like this coaching stuff. So I'm gonna go ahead and give this a seven and a half just because seven half. nice. I'm not confident enough to go at nine like you. Like I really like the fit. I think that oh. the players are gonna play for him way harder than they would for Brian Kelly. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But I just I just gotta see, I guess, a little bit more before I would throw out a grade like that yeah and, and who knows maybe you know we can revisit these as well as we see the transfers and stuff going unfolded speaking of transfers speaking of coaching moves the biggest and probably the the most shocking move i think we can agree with was lincoln riley leaving norman oklahoma a place that he had built he has built it into a place that you can run an offense it's a great place that recruits love and he just decides in the middle of the night after he says, hey, I'm not going to LSU. Of course, he wasn't going to LSU. He was already going on a plane to USC because that makes sense. So I'm going to just let you give your first takes because I have some thoughts on it too. I think we both agree that this was interesting, but I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so this is, it seemed so shady, like all the stuff that came out after. And of course, we don't know how much of it's true or not, but apparently he's been talking about being the USC coach since as early as September. Yeah, I think is what I read. And of course, we'll never know that for sure because sources and confirmations and stuff, you can never truly know, but you can hear buzz. So 
Yeah, I mean, USC has kind of been a similar program to Miami where, I mean, they won three straight national championships, Ben, with guys like Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner. We remember those. That's when we were, that's when we were kids. We remember those. Yeah. And then uh, after they got in trouble for recruiting and violations of Pete Carroll jump ship, they've just kind of been scrambling around with guys like yeah. uh, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and Clay Helton. And they've, I mean, they like Miami, they've sporadically had like these uh, occasional nine to 10 win seasons, but for the most part, it's been inconsistent. It's been bad. It's been not to the standards of USC that we know or even like that our parents know of growing up and watching guys like uh, Marcus Allen and OJ Simpson. Like yeah. USC has been uh, a big time program for decades and they haven't been that for really like the last one. Yeah. I guess it's like one. Cause that second decade would have been like the Reggie Bush days, yeah, yeah. but it's been a while since they've been good. And they've, they've tried to go out and get guys. Like they've always been in talks of getting guys like uh, urban Meyer. I think he's been like a USC rumor for a while and it never happened. So it was just, and with how great of a recruiting area like Southern California is and like just as a spot to live, like weather-wise, it was kind of wild to me that they couldn't talk any like big time coach into coming there. It's like really Clay Helton. But I, I think but I think also you look at there's more, I think on the we could go on the political side too. I think California in general is not maybe for some coaches where they want to live and and raise that a family. Percent tax is a problem. Yeah. For I sure. think that's that's a big thing too. If you're making one million dollars, you're paying pretty much a fourth of that yeah so. on the flip side lincoln riley he's gotten offered like nfl jobs he's been the buzz to be that dallas cowboys head coach before they gave it to mike mccarthy um and he kept turning these down he's like he said like i'm not going to lsu and i mean he did it and said that so many times and turned out so many jobs that i actually believed him and that he was going to stay at oklahoma for a while but as we said earlier, Ben, money talks. And I mean, the the details of his contract. It's ridiculous. I the annual details, but they threw in stuff like uh, like he, so many square foot mansion. He's they bought, they bought, they bought his wants. house in Oklahoma. They bought his house and said, we'll he buy it. He doesn't have to worry about selling it. They bought his house in Oklahoma. Ridiculous. And then they bought him a new house in California. They gave him a jet. I'm sure his salary is definitely like eight figures at least. I'll just be honest with you. I, I wish someone could just buy me a house and just say, hey, we'll hire you. We'll take care of everything else for you. I wish I had that. Yeah. They threw in a lot of stuff that it just was like, how can you not take that job? And yeah, I mean, other coaches have failed to return USC to prominence, but we're already seeing like the impact Lincoln Riley has had on USC just in like the less than two months that he's been the head coach. He's got yeah. Some of the top recruits in 2022 and 23 class to either commit or flip their commitment to USC. He's gotten some of his Oklahoma guys to transfer to USC with him. He's had, uh, um, like we're seeing the impact all around. Like USC is going to be recruited, or I mean, California is going to be recruited by USC again. Yeah, Those guys, yeah. Mario Cristobal was stealing. Ohio State was stealing. Ohio, Chris Olave. Ohio State and Alabama stole California's two Stroud. top quarterbacks, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Yeah. So I think those guys are going to start staying in state. And I think this is like a slam dunk hire. So what would you – so you give it what, what, nine, ten? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give this a ten, Ben. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't throw tens around. I don't think anything's perfect. But we haven't seen Lincoln Riley – coach a game at usc yet and we're already seeing usc improve 
Yeah, and you've I, seen a track record of success as an assistant at Texas Tech, as a head coach at Oklahoma, and assistant at Oklahoma. Um, I've I've seen enough. I'm ready to give this a ten out of ten higher. Yeah, I, I I mean it's a ten for me. I it's just weird. Again, this whole coaching thing's weird. I think the transfer portal's weird. I mean, briefly, I just want to talk about the transfer portal real quick. This is where I just start. You know, it's so hard to recruit anymore. I think you can agree with me on that. I it's you're basically saying, Hey, come play with us. Knowing that if that guy doesn't like the amount of time you're giving him, no matter what you've told him up front and said, Hey, this is how much you're going to be playing the first two years. If that guy goes, Hey, I'm going to make more money in image likeness at this school. I'm going to go there. I mean, I look at the, the idea of Brew McCoy. This is just an example of USC, right? He started as a recruit for USC. He, I believe signed then got out of his signed letter of intent to go to Texas, spends a summer basically in Texas, then says, oh, wait, I miss Southern California, then goes back to Southern California. Now is again, after like 18 months in the transfer portal. To me, I guess I'm old school. I don't know about you, Josh. To me being old school, I struggle with the sense of just, it goes back to loyalty. I just struggle with like saying, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to like leave after being there for a year, two years, I don't mind if you've been there four years, you've graduated, you have one year left, you go, you know, transfer, go for a year. But these guys that just flop for two to three schools, it just to me is just, it's shocking to me. I don't know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, as it stands right now, there's no regulations. So let's just use uh, the Caleb Williams example. He I don't think he has any reason to transfer other than his head coach left which yes. I suppose that's a valid reason, but I don't think that's why he's going to the portal. I think it's more so the NIL stuff because apparently if he goes to a SEC school, he has the chance to make like double, triple the amount that he could make at Oklahoma. And that could just be because of company manipulation. Like let's just use Coca-Cola. I know like Dr. Pepper's like the official yeah. pop or soda of college football. But let's just use Coca-Cola, for example, a Georgia-based company. They tell Caleb Williams, well, we could give you a million dollars if you played at Oklahoma, but if you came to Georgia, you know, our backyard, exactly. we could give you $5 million. Yeah. And then you start like manipulating the way that recruiting goes. Or Quinn Ewers, the dude skipped Perfect his example. senior year of high school to go to Ohio State, State because yeah. if he went to Ohio State, he could make a million. But if he stayed in high school or even like skipped high school and went to college elsewhere, he couldn't get that million. It was contingent on him being at Ohio State. And since C.J. Stroud ended up being like this freaking Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback, Quinn Ewers is never getting a chance to start at Ohio State. He's going to be like a senior by the time he actually gets his chance. So bye-bye NIL money because he's not making like any plays. So now he has to go to Texas to be able to get a chance to get on the field and make that NIL money again. And I think that goes back to the NIL. It just It's ridiculous that guys are getting paid a million dollars that have never stepped foot on a college football field, could tear their ACL first practice of the year, and they get all this money. That, I mean, that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day, which I'm sure we will. We, we will have one. We promise you all we'll have one about that because I think we both have thoughts on this and from the old school perspective, but then also just in like a common sense perspective. And I think going to the transfer to finish up here, I think the transfer portal is great. I understand what it is. It helps guys who just can't fit in it their gives place. guys like Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow opportunities yes. that they wouldn't have had otherwise. But, like I'm not saying abolish the transfer portal entirely. Yes. But what I'm saying is that there needs to be a rule that says, Hey, I, I like the rule of saying you have to stay a year or maybe two years and say you stay two years. If you don't like it, then you have the free transfer. 
The issue is now is they can transfer after a week on campus. How does that show you anything? How does that tell you anything as a player? It doesn't. It's about the it money doesn't. now. It's about the money let's, now. Let's go to the NFL because we want these guys to be empowered, right? But in the NFL, you have contracts. Like you can't just go to exactly. a team every year. Like I think college football needs to be the same way with having contracts. Like, yeah. Like you're going to a four-year school, like maybe not necessarily that four-year contract you have to play out, but maybe you have like I think we have the one-time rule, but there really needs to be like more regulations on reasons to that you should be able to transfer because there's like what 600 kids in the portal. Not all of them are going to find a new home. Yeah, it's true, and it's 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 crazy, and it's just the world of of sports we live in. Um, but for all of you out there that have any opinions, questions, you know, things like that, put them in the comments. Um, you know, message it to us. I'd love to hear your thoughts because, again, we're just two guys that are from the Midwest that just watch a lot of football and just get a little crazy about many things. And it let's, is crazy. Let's rank our, let's rank oh, our yes. five head coaches. Let's do now. it. Let's so do it. I think in summary then, so we have uh, we have Lincoln Riley at number one. We both agreed on agree. that. Yes. And then I think we had um, Brent Venables and Brian Kelly as like a tie for second. Actually, maybe you were a little lower on yes. Kelly than I was. So I, we'll I, give Venables the second. And yes, Venables, Venables would be two. But again, I had Marcus Freeman as a pretty high. So for me, I would say I agree with you on the first two. I think if Riley, Venables, to me, I would go Freeman, Kelly, and then Cristobal would Kelly, be last. Cristobal, yeah. We were, we were both on the same page about Cristobal being like the most confusing. Yes. Riley like the best. Yeah, yeah, so we I, I we, we kind of have different opinions on the Freeman Kelly one. That's really the only difference. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we both look at it and, and I think we, we both can agree that, you know, this is a crazy world. And again, for all of you out there, yes, I know there's more hires. There's uh, hundreds Billy of hires. Nate, it feels like Florida, Dan Lane, Oregon, exactly. like there are a lot of them. We can't but, talk about all of them. Else exactly. Be We'd be here forever and, and we don't want that. So Again, these are the coaches changes we we thought about. We we said, hey, let's talk about it. Um, again, it's a weird spot in sports right now. It's like we talk about the NBA regular season. That's just it's kind of boring right now. There's not really much going on in that world. Same with college basketball. We said, hey, you know what? NFL playoffs are happening, but let's let wait that dust settle. Hey, let's talk about coaches. Why not? So who knows what next week will be about? We'll, we're going to figure that out for the next coming week. But what I will say is is that these are. Uh, probably some of the craziest times in college football that we've ever seen. And I think it's only going to get crazier. I never thought that at age 25, I would be saying that it's the craziest time I've ever seen of college football, but it's the world we live in. Um, so Josh, any final thoughts on the college football coaching carousel, this sort of thing, anything you have left to say about this? Not a whole lot other than, I mean, this was the most wild coaching offseason we might be destined for even wilder ones in the future. Like, yeah, maybe this is just the beginning. Maybe this is the beginning of the end. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the, I mean, I have the same thoughts as you. I mean, we, we could talk about this for days. Um, but like we do every week and like Josh and I did for three years or two years of the full court press when we were at college, I had a question of the week. And I don't tell Josh ahead of time because I like to have real life reactions. Um, so this is my question of the week, Josh, and it's an interesting one, sort of. Um, so let's say that you are a NFL head coach, right? You're, you got the NFL head coach. Let's be honest. Neither of us would be an NFL head coach ever. I don't think in our lifetime. Um, and you had to pick a franchise quarterback 
you had to pick a franchise running back and you had to pick a um, franchise wide receiver, um, two wide receivers, I should say, what would be those four guys to kind of build your offense around? Who would you say it would be? See, like at this current, this current moment. Yeah. We're talking franchise. So that means that we're looking for a guy that can be our guy for like a decade. So exactly. That that's exactly like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady right ex- off the bat. That's exactly why we're I chose right that now, question. I'm not going with anyone other than Brady, but if we're going for a franchise, I think there's a couple different routes you could go where you kind of got a, uh, I think Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes might be the two most popular picks right now. Okay. Um, I am going to go with Mahomes because okay. I like his athletic ability better and he just makes throws that no one else can. And because he's taken a team to the Super Bowl twice already. That's okay. All right. Quarterback. Okay. Got it. Mahomes. Got it. My franchise running back. This is where it gets interesting because running backs don't exactly have the shelf life of other football players. Of course. And most of the top running backs right now, like Christian McCaffrey, um, are starting to get injury prone a little bit here. Derrick Henry just had his first injury. I thought that guy was unbreakable, and the Titans finally broke him. So, <laughs> when you run the ball three hundred times, like, it's going to happen. Even Nick Chubb has had a couple, like not huge injuries, like to the extent that Henry and McCaffrey have, but he's had small ones. So, I almost wonder if I should just, um, I mean, dang, Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, those are two other ones that it's like, man. This is what makes fantasy football picks difficult because you want to go running back, but you know that they're going to miss some games. So it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. well, who's going to produce for me? Um, I'm going to, and this is, ah, oh, man, because age has to play into this too to an extent, yeah. man. Like, I think I'm going to go and take Nick Chubb. Call me biased, but he's had a, nothing major. He's had small injuries, and we yeah. know that if he was actually used the way he could be used, he would be putting up much better numbers. So that's yeah. my franchise running back. Okay. Then two wide receivers. Yeah. That's another tough one right now, right? Because um, there's good ones out there. There's good ones out there, but it's like, can they be good for the next decade or are they going to be out of the NFL for yeah. before then? Because I mean, right now, I think uh, the best receivers, all pro guys, were Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup. However, I mean they're both young too, so you could take those two guys. I'm I'm really a I'm really a big fan of Stefan Diggs and Tyree Kill though. Ooh, that's a good pick. I like that. Kind of have that Mahomes. You got that Mahomes Hill connection too. You do have that one, yeah. Plus, uh, I mean, is Michael Thomas going to be elite when he comes back from his, his surgery or whatever the heck he had? Who knows what he had? Like so. that's another guy that I don't know if you can count out, but. Again, health. So, yeah, that's a tough one. I'm going to, and I know Cooper Cup just had the triple crown season, but I'm going to go with uh, what I've seen consistently and take Diggs and Hill. That's going to be my guys. Nice. I like that. So, so we got Patrick Mahomes, we got yep. Nick Chubb, we got Stefan Diggs, and we got Tyreek Hill. Got it. So this is this is my, um, these are my picks. So I have. Baker Mayfield. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm not going to be that Browns fan. I'm kidding. Um, no, my my quarterback would be. Um, I, I might shock some people here, and I'm not surprised if I do. I'm going to have to go. Um, Justin Herbert. I'm going to have to go with Justin Herbert. Um, over Joe Burrow, Ben. Over Joe Burrow. 
Listen, I will never pick Joe Burrow as much as I love. He's a high state guy. Sorry. We'll never pick him on this podcast. Um, no, Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert, he, he's, he's just a really good quarterback. I think I, I was really debating between him and Josh Allen. Those are the two guys that I was debating between. Um, but I think I'll go Justin Herbert. I think Josh Allen runs it too much for me, <laughs> for my liking. He's going to get hurt like Lamar. Um, so I'm going to go Justin Herbert running back. This is my two guys I was down to. I was down to Nick Chubb, and I was down to uh, Jonathan Taylor. I think Chubb has shown more than Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's only been here a brief time. I'm going to have to go Nick Chubb as well. So I'm joining the bandwagon of Josh saying Nick Chubb. I just think he's the best running back. I will stick by that. Everyone can throw the Derrick Henry at me. Sorry. Most complete running back is Nick Chubb when he's healthy. Um, then wide receivers. This is where I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. I'm going to go Cooper Cup because I believe in white, white wide receivers that have a great year like he did. And I have to stick with it. So I'm going to go Cooper Cup, who's just – I think he's been silently very good over the last few years. Even um, before this season, he's been a good receiver. Yeah. I would say then my last one – Oh, this is, this is so hard. Um, I was stuck between Devonte Adams and Michael Thomas and, um, uh, and Hill, but I kind of want to go Justin Jefferson from the Minnesota Vikings is kind of where I want to put as like, he's a young guy who I think is going to make a, a big thing. And no, I'm not going to do Jamar chase. So Jared, no, it's not happening. I'm sorry. I was just going to bring that up. I was thinking sorry, about, no. I was thinking about my, I was like, I was just looking up the age of uh, the guys that I picked, Terry Kill and Stefan Diggs. And I'm like, Diggs is 28, Hill's 27. Would it make more sense to maybe go with uh, Jamar Chase no, and gamble no, on the fact that he's going to continue to just get better from here and be like the next Randy Moss? Josh, we don't. Josh, we don't. Okay. We just don't choose him. All right. They, they drafted a kicker. Okay. That won them a game in the playoffs. Okay. It's salty right now. <laughs> a little salty. Um, but yeah, so those are our, those are our teams. Maybe next week we'll do defense. We'll do our, our defensive cornerstones, which is really hard, actually, I think uh, harder than you think. So uh, Josh, thank you again for joining me over there in the across the ocean. Um, it's just really weird all the time when I say that, but um, so thank you, you really so much for joining. Fun. It's uh, yeah. it's been fun. Um, we'll be on next week. Who knows what we'll be talking about? We never know. We just, we kind of pick up these things in the middle of the week. So for those of you who think that we plan these out, we pick them at like on Monday or Tuesday and they're like, Hey, that's a great idea. And then we uh, do that. So if you've liked this uh, episode of the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button, hit that subscribe button. You get to see all of the great podcast episodes are coming out. Uh, I'm starting up the real talk with Ben podcast again. So that will be coming out here uh, in the short time uh, in the next few, few weeks. So that'll be fun. Um, and if you're also loving this on Spotify, it should be up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts soon as well, uh, this podcast. So thanks again for listening to The Baseline with Josh and Ben. And I can't wait to uh, talk to you guys next week. Um, we will see you in about, yeah, seven days. We'll see you very soon. I uh, hope you guys have a great week and uh, have a blessed one out there. See ya.